We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. My name is Colin. I'm the pastor here of this new community called Branches. And when I started in January, I thought this moment was so far on the, on the horizon that I would never get here. It's kind of like uh, you're at school like 8 a.m. and you're like, oh, geez, I cannot wait to leave. And it's like the last day of school. Uh, and here we are. Glad that you're here. Uh, in getting prepared for this moment, Uh, One thing that we really wanted to emphasize and wanted to do was push branches, pictures, videos, posts, anything like that onto social media. And so we put some money behind social media, uh, ads about branches on Facebook and Instagram. And one of the things that uh, we had to do as a team uh, was kind of play whack-a-mole with some comments that we got. (laughs) Uh, Because when you push those things out, it doesn't just go to people that you know, but you can kind of choose an audience of the people that you want to see Uh, your content. And so we got some pretty abrasive things about like, I don't want to see Christian stuff on my Facebook or whatever else. Uh, My favorite one, all of them, I wish I'd left it up. I said, uh, uh, take those things out of your ears, young man. (laughs) Uh, Really good. I really just wanted to comment from the branches page, no. Uh, But I hid the comment and he got to have his little moment of you know, giving advice, I guess. I don't know, as unhelpful as it was. And it just reminds me of how many times, like, I haven't been misjudged, but just maybe been told a description about myself or something after the fact that made me feel like, oh, is that really who I am? Like, is, it, is that what it's like to be on the other side of me? That's actually a really good um, self-awareness question, is to ask somebody, not your best friend, maybe your spouse, maybe someone that only kind of knows you, maybe somebody you work with, maybe someone that is employed by you. What is it like to be on the other side of me? And I've been told uh, a couple of different things. One of my good friends in college, his mom said to me, or said to him about me, uh, Colin is such a nice boy, but you wouldn't know it by looking at him. Uh, So that's what it's like to be on the other side of me. Smile more and take those things out of your ears, young man, or something, I don't know. So I was a nice boy. I had some college friends tell me they first, the first time they met me, they were scared of me, which I don't feel like I'm a very scary person. I feel kind of warm and fuzzy. Uh, maybe I don't present that way. It reminds me of at my last church. I was uh, on my way to church, and I stopped at Starbucks uh, many times that I did on Sunday mornings. And I was in traditional worship that day, so I was in my suit clothes. And the barista said, I like your look, edgy businessman, uh, which I also took. So take those things out of your ears. I'm nice, but I don't look nice, and edgy businessman. Uh, So I'll change my Twitter bio this afternoon, all those things. That's what it's like to be on the other side of me. Um, And maybe you've been there too, like somebody said, hey, when I first met you, I thought you were this or that. Or maybe somebody tells you this quality about you, that you're not very kind, or uh, I don't really like being around you, or you're abrasive to be around, or there's this physical quality about you that I don't like, and they judge you and tell you something about who they think you are and who they think you're supposed to be. It reminds me of the story of Tony Campolo. He's a famous Christian author and preacher, and uh, he was flying to Hawaii to speak at a conference, and he flew to Hawaii, and the time was off. He got there really, really late, and he got to his hotel room around 3 a.m., and he was hungry. His clock was all off. He was really, really hungry, and so he found this diner that was open, and he ordered some food, and uh, a group of women came in, 
uh, and they had just gotten off work. It was 3 a.m. I'll let the adults connect the dots. Um, and they were sitting there, and they were laughing. It was one of those times he describes as everything was funny. Like, everything everyone said was funny to them, and they were just, you know, raucous laughter all night, and it was really joyous. And then he discovered that one of the women in this group, her name was Agnes, it was going to be her birthday the next day. And so he went up to the person working the register at the diner, and he said, hey, do they come here every night? And he said, yeah, they come here every night, 3 a.m., almost on the dot. He said, cool, and, you know, Agnes? He's like, oh, yeah, I know Agnes. She's here all the time. He said, well, it's Agnes's birthday, uh, if I paid for it and got all the stuff for it, how hard would it be for us to decorate this place before they got here and to get her a birthday cake? So Tony Campoli did this. And he went early the next night. Uh, it was 2 a.m. or so. And decorated the place, had this beautiful birthday cake. And then at 3, this group of women came in and Agnes was there. And he said she was just immobilized. Uh, that she could hardly move, that her friends had to lead her to the table. And they sang her happy birthday and tears running down her face. And it was even more joyous than the last night, and uh, she said, hey, before we cut the cake, I have a suggestion, I have a question. She's like, I know it's my birthday cake, and I, and I want to share, but she said, my whole life I've never had a birthday cake. Could I just take it home and put it in my freezer and look at it every once in a while? <laughs> uh, and everyone said, of course, it's your birthday, and they had a wonderful night, and they ate at the diner. And the man at the register went to Tony, and he said, why did you do this? Like, that's a weird thing to do. You don't know these women. Like, are you hitting on them? Like, what are you doing? And he said, no, it's just the sort of person I am. You know, I'm a religious person, and it just felt like the right thing to do. And the man at the diner said, uh, what sort of religion? <laughs> like, I want to be part of that. And Tony said, the sort of religion that buys birthday cakes for women at 3 a.m. to give them on their birthday when they've never had a birthday cake, that sort of religion. And I heard that story, and I was a Christian, then when I heard that story, I was like, yes, that religion. <laughs> That's the one that I want. And then we hear these stories from Jesus that he's confronted by religious people, and that's not their sort of religion. And they impose on Jesus this idea of what his religion should, be look, should look like. And in the previous verses, the ones we didn't read today, they're mad because he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. That's what they're mad about. They're like, you're supposed to be this person sent from God, and these are the sort of people that you're surrounding yourself with. And Jesus then, in response to them, doesn't argue with them. He tells them a story. He tells them two stories. And he says, this is the sort of religion that I'm a part of. You've misjudged me. He's like, look, I am from God, and this is what God is like. And he tells these stories. Story of a shepherd who loses one of his 100 sheep. And I was reading a little bit about this. We all know sheep are kind of dumb, and they can wander off easily, and they wander out in the world. And also, just like Agnes, when she saw the birthday cake, after a while, they feel immobilized, and they don't bleat anymore and yell and look for someone. They're, they're kind of resigned to their fate. And so the shepherd really, really has to look. They may have to look for if they've gone to the bathroom somewhere or tracks or whatever else, but they're not making noise. They're not running around anymore. They're immobilized. And so that's why when we hear in this story that Jesus tells that this shepherd picks up the sheep and he wraps it around his neck like a scarf and carries it home because the, the sheep is scared and he comforts it, comforts it. And notice Jesus doesn't say he picks up this sheep and says like, where were you, idiot, or something. <laughs> It doesn't confront this sheep with this expectation of, like, why did you do this? Why did you wander away? He embraces it, and he carries it home. He doesn't question it. And then, not only that, not only does it take it home, it doesn't go back to normal. He throws a party for him. He's asked people around, I've lost my, I found my lost sheep. Let's celebrate. And Jesus says, likewise, there's a woman, and she has this valuable necklace with uh, coins on it. 
and one of the coins falls off. And I love this little detail, it's easy to sweep over, that it says that she doesn't even light a lamp, uh, or she does light a lamp, she, that, that is, that she doesn't wait till morning, she's not gonna wait till morning. It's dark, she lights a lamp, she sweeps over her house trying to find this coin. She doesn't wait, she's desperate. You ever been there? You've lost something or someone precious to you and you're breathlessly searching, longing and looking for it and you turn over everything and you say, I've looked everywhere. I do this all the time and then Landon comes and she's like, it was right where I said it was. <laughs> uh, and you breathlessly look for something precious to you and you find it. And just like the sheep, she grabs this valuable, valuable coin and she holds it close to herself. And she says, uh, again, like the shepherd, I found my lost coin, come celebrate with me. I've heard this passage preached on by preachers before, and I've heard wonderful sermons on it, and I've heard maybe like you have too, some really bad sermons on these stories. Uh, because most of the time, unfortunately, I don't think what Christians get wrong, what Jesus followers get wrong, is they take this G Jesus as saying, there are lost people and there are found people. We categorize people. I'm a found one. I'm one of the 99, and Jesus is out there looking for the ones that are lost. Uh, or uh, I'm one of the coins that didn't fall off the necklace. And it's like, it's an inanimate object. It didn't do anything, you know? It doesn't deserve to be patted on the head. It, it was just lost. I read someone this week say that something is lost because someone is searching for it. And that helps us, I think, read these stories, not as helpful categorizations, and Christians do this all too often to say, I'm found, you're lost, I have something you don't have. I have a value of life that you don't have. I have some status that you don't have. I'm more valued by God than you. You're the lost sheep. You're the lost coin. I'm safe at home. And you really need to come back. Jesus doesn't say that. <laughs> what Jesus says is, there's a party thrown for these two things. Uh, that joy breaks out in the presence of God angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life, that it's not about you. This passage, these stories that Jesus tells aren't about categorizing people. They tell us about who God is, the sort of God that Jesus points to, the sort of God that Jesus asks us to point our eyes towards. It's not about you and making these categorizations. In fact, it's the opposite because he's confronted by religious people who are making that same category. Look at this lost man eating with tax collectors and sinners. Look at us found people that have it all figured out. And Jesus throws it around, turns it on its head. Once uh, I was looking for my iPad, I lost it. Um, not a living thing like a sheep, probably not as valuable as one of these coins, but I had lost my iPad. I had no idea where it was. And we turned over looking for it. When we lived in our house in West Houston, we actually got broken into one time, and I thought maybe it got stolen then, but then I remembered I had it after that, and I looked in my office, and I looked in my car, and it wouldn't have been beyond me to leave it in a coffee shop or on top of my car to drive away or to have lent it to someone, and they took it, and I just forgot, and we couldn't find it, and we couldn't find it, and we couldn't find it. And then we were preparing for family to come for the holidays, and we unrolled the air mattress, and out fell my iPad. <laughs> in this unexpected place. I'm like, I put it there. It was my fault. <laughs> Jesus points to uh, this searching, that something is lost, not because of some other quality, only that that thing is lost because someone is searching for it. It tells us about who God is. It's God's posture toward people. It's God's orientation toward humanity. It's God's posture toward you. It's how God feels about you. It's how God thinks about you. I think we've all been there. I, I was going to look up some like, 
COVID statistics about loneliness and isolation. I'm like, that would have been a very joyous celebratory Sunday morning. And also, we all lived through it. And some of us are still experiencing that now, that uh, more and more people report they don't have a friend that they can confide in or somebody they can be vulnerable with or a community that they can, they can connect to or someone that they can trust and certainly not Christian people. <laughs> and so in reading these stories this week and thinking about this Sunday and this, all the celebration that it brings, I thought, what if we were those sort of people? What if we were the people that resist the categorization of lost and found but embrace the idea that God is a God who seeks and searches for people? Even you, even me, especially me, when I feel lost and lonely and isolated, when I feel immobilized and I don't want to cry out anymore, I don't want to gain attention, but I feel like I need some attention, when I feel like I'm found in an unexpected place and I'm worse than that, feel like nobody cares and no one's looking for me. I really love um, these two quotes from Rich Velotis and Philip Yancey. I think it really encapsulates the sort of God that Jesus is talking about in these parables. Rich Velotis is a pastor in New York City, this church called New Life Fellowship, really wonderful teacher and preacher. He says this, the story of the scriptures is four phases repeated over and over. Here are the four phases. One, I love you. Two, I am with you. Three, don't be afraid. And four, you can come home. It's simple. Can we be that? (laughs) Can we be a people that repeat those over and over and over again? I love you. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. You can come home. There's no expectation of sort of change. There's no take those things out of your ears, young man, and then you can come home. There's no you can conduct yourself this way or have this opinion or have this belief or check this box or be part of this organization or denomination or have this on your driver's license or that or be part of this church or this tradition, but I love you, I'm with you, don't be afraid, come home. Can't we just do that? Can't we just create an environment and cultivate an experience where people feel that first and foremost? Can't we stop categorizing people and say, like, you know what I want branches to be about is there's so many lost people out there, and we're found. We're so lucky to be found. Let's go find the lost people. It sounds nice, but we know it's not true. Or as Philip Yancey puts it so succinctly, he says, the story of the gospel, the story of the Bible, is God getting his family back. That there's no categorization of unrelated and related, that it's God's family and we're part of it, and we're just inviting our family members. We're having a family reunion. And if I could add to what Rich Velotis says here about uh, these four phases of I love you, I'm with you, don't be afraid, please come home. I'd add a fifth phase from the scriptures. Let's party. (laughs) Let's celebrate. Let's add to the volume that's in heaven even now that people turn. Let's add to the volume of heaven that this morning, if I'm being honest, there was a little part of despair in me of like, it's just going to be people in branches (laughs) t-shirts. And people came. Uh, Can we add to the volume of heaven when we know there's someone in our life that the only reason they're estranged and alienated is because we won't reconcile with them? Or because they don't agree with us politically or they don't look like us or they said something hurtful to us? Can we make that first step? Can we initiate? Because The story that Jesus tells, the God that Jesus points to, is a God that initiates that transformation. 
takes the first step, makes the first move, comes into a circle of relationship first and invites other people in it. It doesn't say, you're lost, there's no hope for you, in that right now, as we are in this moment, and as it's raining and wet outside and uh, Houston drivers aren't handling it well, I imagine if there's a pattern as any sort of expectation, that we know that God is out right now inviting people back. And I don't mean back to church. That's shallow and superficial. I mean back to connection. I mean back to relationship. I mean back to reconciliation. I mean back to transformation. That God's ideal is not just a Sunday morning experience of people singing together and praying together and coming to the table. All that is wonderful, but it's a reflection. It's a sign. It's a pointing to who that God is and what he's doing in our city and in our world. That's the sort of community I want to be part of. One that says, I love you. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Please come home. Let's party. (laughs) Let's celebrate. Let's sing a joyful noise. Let's be with one another. C.S. Lewis said famously that the most powerful words in the English language are me too. That's how you make friends. That's how I made friends in college. You discover that they like something that you like. Hey, me too. Or you discovered that they were from a state that you were from, me too. Or you discovered that they have the same ailment or same struggle or same desires or same vocational expectation or same degree or same major in college, me too. And I think all of us can point to a moment where someone said that to us, and in that moment we felt connected. We felt seen. We didn't feel lost. We felt found by someone else. I got a clip of this podcast from my friend Wallace over the weekend. This podcast is called Un Piquito, and it's a podcast about Latinx culture, and it's kind of, uh, kind of educational in that way. And one of the hosts was talking about how he was having a really, really sad day and really down on himself, and he was dealing with depression, depression personally and isolation. This was post-COVID. And he was just driving in his car and probably listening to some sad music, and he pulled up to the stoplight, and he was just trying to be in his feelings, and he started hearing honking. He's like, what now? <laughs> you know, uh, I'm trying to be sad. Won't you leave me alone? <laughs> I'm trying to be isolated. And he kept hearing honking. And he looked behind him, and the guy behind him wasn't honking. And he looked to his left, and the guy to his left wasn't honking. And he looked over, and the guy next to him was waving and smiling really big and honking, honking. And he was like, roll down your window. And he rolled down his window, and he said, what? What do you want? And he said, all three of us in the row have the same car. <laughs> 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 me too. <laughs> And he said, he said, it sounds so stupid, but in that moment, my heart was lifted up. My heart was warmed. I felt connected. I wasn't sad in that moment. I, I realized that there are other people in the world, and we have the same car. <laughs> and it's beautiful. And something simple as that connects us with the humanity with somebody else. But more than that, the deepest way that we're connected is not that we're found because we showed up to church today, as nice as that is, but that at some point, maybe even as early as this morning, maybe even right now, God is finding you here in this place. God is finding you in whatever you're carrying. God is finding you in whatever worry and anxiety you have about the future. God is finding you in whatever relationship is broken. God is finding you now at branches, and God is finding you. And at the same time, God is using you. God is using us. God is using this place to find other people who feel lost. And I don't mean lost as that categorization of, like, they're not like us. I mean lost in that, like, me too, (laughs) Like, I'm just a small-town kid from Arkansas who moved to Houston a few years ago. (laughs) Like, I went to seminary, and now I'm a pastor, but I often feel like such a phony and a failure. And then I have pastor friends that say, me too. (laughs) 
I want to follow Jesus, and I fail, and I try, and I try to make it about myself, and I stumble, and I hurt, and I have pain and stress in trying to do that, and I wonder sometimes that I'm reading the Bible, like, am I doing this for work to be a better pastor, or am I doing this to be closer to Jesus? And then I have other pastor friends say, me too. I have friends whose parents are divorced, and it really had a difficult impact on their life. Me too. I know you have friends and neighbors who feel isolated. They've lost someone in their life to a disease, and maybe you have too, and you say, me too. And it doesn't have to be, me too. Now can I tell you about Jesus? <laughs> it can just be, me too. And because you follow Jesus, you open yourself up to connect with them in a relationship. We don't use our relationship with Jesus to leverage it and manipulate other people to believe and think what we think. But because of what we believe and think, we're motivated to go into the world and say, me too. Maybe someone's told you you should take those things out of your ears. <laughs> Me too. And in this moment, we're going to come to this table. Michelle's going to lead us in that moment. And we're going to say together, as we take this bread and cup, as we take this common grace that Jesus offers us, we're going to say together, as we partake of it together, Me too. That I'm broken. That I need healing. That I need transformation. We're going to say all together, as we take this, to, to this common grace and bread and cup, me too. Friends, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we're going to do it again next week, and I hope you'll come back for that as well, and I hope you'll bring someone along. I hope you'll say, me too, uh, and invite someone to come with you. Thank you for being in this place to get today, and thank you for being found. Thank you for listening to the voice of God. Thank you for finding one another. Thank you for uh, inviting and opening yourself in vulnerability and love to those around you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you became one of us, that you took on flesh in Jesus, and you came and you told these stories not to categorize us, but to remind us of how good you are, how extravagant your love is, how it reaches and touches all people, that there's no category of loved and unloved, there's only loved because of who you are. Maybe in this moment, uh, we're not feeling that we are loved or seen, uh, that we're not uh, part of a community, that we're alone, that we're isolated. We long for you to remind us that you are with us and that there's someone in this room that is longing to connect with us, that there's someone in this room that feels that too, that there's someone in this room that's longing to reach out. And we also just ask that you would make us aware of your presence. As we come to this table today, as we pray together, as we continue to worship, we thank you that the good news, the best news of all, is that you said to us in Jesus, me too.